lights down Hand over my crown Hand over my heart I do this for my town I do this for my crowd So turn me up real loud My time, my time None of you people can tell me to stop Hello everybody, welcome to this week's episode of MGR Unplugged David, how are you today? Doing great as always as always yeah so you know how last week we said that uh we, we ran out of time and we said that this week we will dedicate most of the podcast to uh some crypto and DeFi chat and uh we didn't plan it that way perfect it's timing, been a, huh? it's been a it's been a very uh, newsworthy week for uh crypto especially the last 48 hours i guess so yeah we have a lot of things to discuss just and, so uh, everybody knows we're recording this thursday morning yeah, Thursday actually, May twentieth. May twentieth. So I just checked the price of Bitcoin. Let's it's about thirty nine forty or something. At about thirty nine, I think Ethereum is at twenty seven hundred or so, roughly. So that's that's where we are. Just so people have some context if things change. Yeah, actually, the theme of this podcast is going to be perspective. I was trying to find a keyword for this podcast. It's going to be perspective, everybody. Perspective. But anyways, before we get to that. Um, I wanted to uh, briefly touch on the uh, playoffs or the playing now that we have, which uh, I saw the first game yesterday. I think there was been a couple of games already, three or four, actually. Yes. I didn't NBA. care much about the uh, Eastern Conference stuff, but uh, I did see yesterday the uh, what could have been a final between uh, you know Lakers and, and Warriors some great, years ago. I mean, it was a great game. I mean... You watch it. You're yeah, actually, it was like a final because the ga- the winner was making it to number seven seed in the, the West. The winner has the honor, yeah, of playing my Phoenix Suns. Yeah, no, uh, it was a great game. Anybody who watched it, it was. Uh, I kind of had the feeling the whole time when the Warriors were winning. I was always like. I don't know, man. It feels like the Lakers are gonna pull this one out still, and they did in the end. LeBron. Hit somewhat lucky, but very skilled shot at the very end. You know uh, his quote at the end of the game, or after the conference or something, where he got poked in the eye and he said, "I was looking, I was seeing three baskets, one in the right, oh, one on really? the left, and I went to one in the middle." Oh, I didn't hear that. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. funny. <laughs> um, so it was a great shot, and then um, Lakers won in the end. But that's okay. No, it's uh, true you say that because the, the whole game, the the Warriors were up by. I mean, they tied in the fourth quarter a couple of times, but uh, the Warriors were up by five, seven, three, five, whatever. But you could tell that the Lakers, they never, the very few times they had both LeBron and and AD on the floor at the same time. You could could tell that the Lakers had a couple of notches that they could go up to make things happen. This was the problem. At one point in the third quarter, I think, they showed the graphic, and Anthony Davis was, I think it was 3 of 16 from the field. Yeah, so he, he was, was playing terrible shooting, yeah. And the Lakers were down four or something. Yeah. And I was like, Anthony Davis, uh, he's not this bad. In, in the meantime, the Warriors, Steph Curry was approaching 40, so he was having a great game himself. Yeah, so when, when basically Anthony Davis is having, you talk about like the... Uh, the the bell curve and the regression to the mean it's like when he's having a way below average game for himself through the first three quarters and it's basically still tied uh, it's like all it takes is him to flip it 
to not be terrible in the fourth quarter, which he he did play much better in the fourth quarter, and they're going to win. And that's exactly what happened. Now, it was still close. I mean, it came down to basically LeBron hitting that shot. Yeah, that shot was unbelievable. But it was just as good as the one that Curry made at the end of the first half. Um, you know, the three-pointer off-balance, whatever. So, But, hey, the but winner anyways, was the Anyways, it's over. And uh, so now it's going to be Lakers-Suns. Well, it's not over for the Warriors. They're gonna no, play no, it's now. not over the Warriors. The yeah, Warriors are playing Grizzlies. Play Memphis, so yeah. But anyways, uh, this is the playing. Is the new little format. So there's seven, eight, nine, ten. Play each other. Two, two, two of them will make it. Two of them all, will be out. All I gotta say to the Lakers is bring it. Yeah, I'm not afraid. The Suns are not afraid. We're gonna beat the Lakers. So if the Suns beat the Lakers, are we not? Are we the favorites to win the championship then? You're asking me. I uh, I think favorites in the West. I'm not so familiar with the Eastern Conference teams. I mean, Brooklyn seems pretty strong. They have the three guys like KD and, and James Harden. A lot of Kyrie people are Irving. picking Philly, actually. Really? Huh. I don't know. I think I think Brooklyn still. If those three guys playing together have good chemistry stuff, they are pretty strong. But yeah, of course. Um, who knows? Um, Anyways, we'll see. We, we need to get over the Lakers first, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, all right, so let's jump over to um, our main topic for today, which is uh, crypto. So obviously, we were just going to discuss some other uh, DeFi options and, and links and things like that that we couldn't get to um, last week. But obviously, we had the now called crypto crash um, just two days ago, yesterday. Was, was it yesterday? When the Black Wednesday. Black Wednesday, yeah, exactly. The crypto crash Wednesday, where um, basically what happened is uh, Bitcoin and all, all the cryptocurrencies basically, but Bitcoin was up to 60, 62 just about, I don't know, three, four weeks ago. And then it kind of set up for like in the 50s. And then all of a sudden it went down all the way to how far did it go down? Like 30? It briefly touched 29. 29, yeah, yeah. like below 30. So basically lost almost half of his value yeah. um, from from in, in, in half an hour, it went down like 25%. And that was like people like saying, okay, what's going on? And then things started to clear, clear up a little bit and people tried to figure out, okay, what's behind this or whatever. And in last 24, 36 hours, a few more reasons are coming up. But uh, in your opinion, David, what do you think uh, was, was one of the factors that caused this crash? I mean, obviously we, we, we do consider it a crash because it was, it was a flash crash, whatever you it want, but it, was, but it was very, very significant. This is not a, a, a correction. This is not a, I mean, we had before where it reaches 60 and then it goes to 49 and then, you know, it goes up and no, down. No, no, I mean. But this was significant. For, 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 for me, uh, we're, we're in Pacific time zone here and uh, I woke up at like 6 a.m. and uh, I checked my phone. It's funny because I woke, I had woken up at like 3 a.m., and sometimes I have a bad habit of like checking my phone if I can't get back to sleep quickly. But that night checking I said- Checking your phone and checking your crypto assets? I will sometimes <laughs> check my crypto. I, I mostly don't do that, That's but definitely sometimes- a bad habit. But it's one of those things where, you know, you wake up at three in the morning and then you can't go back to sleep and you're like in so bed So you're like for, getting it even dopamine or cortisol, yeah. depending on how it goes. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm like, you know, tossing and turning. But anyways, I was like, no, no, I'm not going to look at my phone or anything. So I didn't touch my phone and I went back to sleep and then woke up at like six and uh, I checked. Then I did check 
And uh, I, I told you, and I actually joked that I thought it was a mistake. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I opened my Binance, and uh, Binance, you know, I have all these different, they have like a list of all these different trading pairs and stuff. And the first one I saw was Link, uh, Chainlink, for those who don't know. And uh, I, I was looking, Chainlink uh, a week ago was, I think, hit a peak of like $52 a, a coin uh, token. And uh, it had dipped down to like 35 but then it was back in the 40s. And so I wake up at like 6 in the morning, and uh, I'm just checking, and it said 25 for Link. And I thought I was misreading it because I thought it was like a pair. Like sometimes instead of being Link to dollars, it'll be mm -hmm. Link bit per Bitcoin, whatever, right? Um, so I thought I mistakenly was looking at the wrong pair or something. And then I said, no, this says Link USD. 25 and i said it was just 50 two days ago and then i look at ethereum and it was 2100 and bitcoin was 29,000, and i was like oh fuck and i see minus 40 percent minus 50 percent i know and i realized oh this isn't a mistake and uh and of course all the fucking exchanges crashed and yeah, I was having the same situation, similar. I, I get this Blockfolio uh, notifications. Blockfolio is this app. So then I texted you at 6 in the morning, and all I said was, oh, my God, and, uh, and then you replied. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so then I started going to, like, Telegram group chats, and then, of course, I had to open Twitter, and it was basically what I expected, everybody kind of freaking out. But, yeah, what happened, I mean, it was a combination of a lot of things. I think the market was just... Uh, overbought. Hot. Overbought. Yeah. I mean, Ethereum went from 1400 to 4200 in just a few weeks. So more than triple. Um, and then you had all the other kind of altcoins pumping a lot too. And uh, yeah, I think the, and then lots of leverage. That was the problem too. There's lots of leverage in the market. And I think they said that there were 750 plus thousand people that got liquidated yesterday, traders that got liquidated, meaning that uh, <clears throat> they were on leverage. It's kind of very similar to a margin call where you're on leverage. And then if you don't meet your collateralization requirements, you get liquidated, which means that uh, you're, whoever you're getting leverage from automatically closes out your position mm -hmm. whether you want it to happen I remember or not that when that happens it's usually a snowball effect because right so then if all of a sudden more then that you are basically putting more supply of the coin of the talk right so like basically if if say ethereum's 3500 and you have leverage and as long as ethereum is above 3000 you're fine but if it dips below 3000 uh you're gonna get liquidated right okay well then all of a sudden it does dip below 3000 and your position gets automatically liquidated at 2900 and so then if you own a bunch of ethereum at 2900 and now you have automatically put all of those for sale and you times a bunch of other people then all of a sudden like you said you have this supply shock mm -hmm. or or supply glut i should say and a ton of supply hits the market all of a sudden and that's why you had a flash crash where ethereum dipped to 1900 briefly all the way down below 2000 i mean that's crazy mm -hmm. uh, but then it, it all kind of bounced back relatively quickly but because by midday ethereum was back to uh, yeah, like, it kind of tried to come back and then and then china made the 
or there was this news from China that they were trying to which is that wasn't forever. the China was not what caused it. Well, no, China China probably was causing more of the halt of the uh, of the comeback because he was coming back a little bit and even. You know, there were some people that attribute the comeback to some tweet that Elon Musk made back with the uh, no. with Tesla, whatever. No, 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 no. That 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 stuff has nothing to do. People are mostly idiots when it comes to why do things move in the markets. It, there was too much leverage. The market was too hot, and basically, we had a clearing out of people who were greedy and over levered. You know, it happens. Listen, the two thousand eight financial crisis was just a mega version of what just happened, where you have way too much leverage, you have all these CDOs, you have all these things going on, and once it's one domino starts falling, all the dominoes fall, and you have a liquidation crisis. And that's well, how an uh, asset like Ethereum drops 50% in half an hour. Well, another, another theory or, or basically fact that, I, that we looked into is the fact that... Um, <clears throat> The majority of the um, of the sales and liquidations, or basically leaving their positions, happened with wallets that were pretty recent. I mean, basically people that got into crypto over the last twelve months or less or six months, and uh, so these are people that, coincidentally with the pandemic, were basically not having a job or being home, quarantined, whatever, confined, and then they have stimulus money to put into somewhere and there's lots of proof that a lot of the stimulus money went to uh, cryptocurrencies majority primarily bitcoin and ethereum um and then and unfortunately doge doge yeah dogecoin too and, and all those guys were just basically inexperienced just like tourists in the crypto world you know that were new and they were putting money there and seeing that they're making big money overnight basically and then all of a sudden, the situation changed. I mean, the money is not flowing freely anymore. You're going back to work and all that stuff. And then you start panicking a little bit, like the famous FUD, the FUD. And then you just basically sell. And once, once all, those, those, all of those recent wallets or crypto wallets um, start selling, then, it's, it's, again, it's, it's a domino effect where you sell, you depreciate the value of the token, then all the people that are over leveraged need to liquid it as well or are liquidated by their by their um, DeFi options and then the whole thing just starts falling apart so but to put things in perspective uh which is what i said it was the theme of this podcast in the beginning i mean when you look at bitcoin over the last 12 months okay just just put yourself yeah of course 12 no months i mean ago. even ethereum ethereum crash but really ethereum is still up for the yeah, month but you know how much crypto uh, bitcoin specifically ethereum even more but bitcoin in the last 12 months is up 350 percent okay so if you I go mean, back from from the bottom no 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 from the bottom 12 months i'm not talking from the bottom that was like three years ago or whatever no 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 i mean from the bottom in march last year oh yeah in march last year it, it was in the 3000s no i understood I'm just going back. And this so is basically for it to be in the 30,000s, it's basically still 10x above the bottom last year. So Right. Uh, yeah, so, no, of course. So, it's all perspective. But even if you just go um, six months ago, like Christmas, basically, it's still, it's still up 150%. We were, remember, actually looking at Christmas when we were actually um, starting to think that the market was hitting up for, for crypto. And, uh, you know, if you were saying, well, right now, like you said, it's back up to almost 40, like 39, 40 as we, as we record this. But uh, so it has recovered quite a bit. 
but I think this is a very fair. I don't expect it to go to 60 right away. I mean, when you lose 50%, remember, you need to regain 100% to be where you were before. That's basically pure math. Um, so I don't think it's going to go to 60 right away. But at the same time, I'm okay with 40, you know. I was very happy with 40 before, and I'd rather have this. Uh, I, I I'd rather honestly, weed out. Basically, my point is I'd rather weed out all these um, leisure investors or traders that are just going there to make a quick buck and leave. Right. No, I mean, nobody, it never feels good in the moment to have a flash crash, you know, but the truth is if you're a long-term buyer, uh, to me, it was just like, oh, okay. I mean, I wanted to get more. I, For me right now, I'm more focused on ETH than Bitcoin. I have, I'm happy with my Bitcoin position and I'm trying to accumulate more ETH for my portfolio because I think ETH is due to run more than Bitcoin uh, for the next kind of year or so. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, Ethereum's back down below 3000. And I said, uh, honestly, if Ethereum goes on another bull run, it's like this may be your last chance to get ETH below 3000 if you're mm -hmm. a long-term holder. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's... The system, it was over levered, you know, there was too much leverage and it's healthy to have these contractions uh, when when things get over levered, things overheat, traders, it's human psychology, right? You're a trader. If you've been trading crypto for the last six months, even myself, right? My core holdings are are Bitcoin, Ethereum and, and, and Link, I like to are kind of my three core holdings. But then I do a little bit of trading with some smaller amounts of money on the side in different coins that uh, are much more speculative. And the truth is that in the last few months, it's like I've been basically winning on all my trades. Is that because I'm a genius trader or is it just because the market is hot and it's like anything you touch, you know, like I, I got into Matic and it was it went from 70 cents to 250 in two weeks, you know, and, and like that I've seen tons of coins move like that is that because i'm some brilliant trader or is that because the market is just flying you know and so it's human psychology that a lot of people basically a lot of traders you you get on a winning streak so to speak and then you say well i could make even more money if i lever it up so instead of putting in a dollar i can get two three four five x leverage right and then i make a ton of money but then, of course, the problem with 5x leverage is if there's a 20% drop, you're done because that's 20 times 5 is 100 and you're done. Right. And so a lot of people like it's funny because some company just launched a 5x leverage Bitcoin and Ethereum product like last week. Five times. Yeah. And any anybody who did that, you're done. Yeah. I mean, uh, when you drop. That's, 40, that's pretty insane. I mean, you had to recognize that crypto by the nature of the number of tokens out there is very volatile to begin with so why 5x the volatility where is up or down i mean if you're not That's if it's not thing. enough volatility for you the fact that it could lose 50 percent of the value yeah. overnight so where leverage gets used a lot <clears throat> in the traditional finance world is in non-volatile assets right so where people use leverage is on things that say you have something that uh you think is going to go up, you know, two, three percent. Okay. And you say, I, I know I can get two, three percent on this. Then I do 5x leverage. And on that three percent, I'm turning my three percent into 15%. That's where people do it. But using 5x 
10x leverage on volatile assets like Ethereum or Bitcoin or especially altcoins. If you are, I mean, that's nuts. Yeah. Because remember, and I say this all the time, especially to crypto newbie friends that I have, people who are not used to it. Volatility goes both ways. Volatility is super well, fun. Yeah. It's really fun on the way up, right? It's really fun when Ethereum goes from 1400 to 4200 in two weeks. That's awesome. Volatility isn't so fun on the way down, but you have to be ready for that and you have to know it's going to happen. Well, if anything from this event over the last, like I said, 36, 48 hours, what we can see is that uh, it actually was a little bit of a stress test for a lot of yeah. the uh, exchanges. The, the thing that made me the most happy was that Ave Compound, all these big uh, uh, uh basically lending platforms, DeFi lending platforms that really are new and haven't been through the ringer. Uh, they got a major stress test because, I mean, a, a, a single day 50% dip is about a, as big of a stress test as you're going to get. I'm not saying that you couldn't dip more than that, but I mean, 50% in a day is about as big of a stress test as you're going to get. And they were fine. They survived. Uh, you know, I have money, I have, I have die in Ave. So I was a little worried, like, okay, right. I hope. Because remember, we're, we're just to clarify, Ave banks, and company I mean, this are, are is how, basically lending pools and yeah. borrowing pools. So these are the guys that this are This is how banks go under. I mean, I mean, the famous Lehman Brothers, this is how Lehman Brothers basically exactly. went under. Because you, you had a major crash and they were over levered. And Lehman got fucked, right? And this is how, you know, the famous bank runs. All these things happen. Banks get over levered. So this shows that the safety and collateralization protocols that they have in place, they worked. Uh, and they survived a major, major stress test. So now that gives me actually a lot of confidence now to say, okay, maybe I should put more money into uh, some of these DeFi uh, platforms now because... You know, most of my cash is in no interest savings accounts now. And I, the reason I didn't That's put the reason I don't put more of it into DeFi is just because I'm like, listen, I love DeFi, but it's new and I don't want to just put all my cash savings in there in case something happens. Right. But now um, this gives me a lot more confidence in that. One, one quick note, obviously, as always, that we say is that this is not investment advice for sure. No, We're basically no. giving you our opinion. I'm just saying what I do personally. Right, right, right. So this is just uh, all we're saying is what we do. I personally have invested in uh, or put some of my uh, savings into platforms like Aave and Compound and some others. Uh, that's just my personal preference, but this is by no means any financial advice. Check your own finances and only invest money that you feel sure that you can basically, you know, handle the risk because it's always a risky investment but uh but yeah i mean with that said i i um we, we discussed actually these platforms so these these DeFi options uh a few times before like have a compound and uh urine and some other you know uh, similar ones but uh alchemix is fine yeah too. exactly um and and these ones are the ones that are we're talking at the beginning of the podcast which are the ones that are almost like uh decentralized lending pools where you you say, I'm going to put my savings there, and then they're going to be used as a loan for other uh, people, individuals, or companies that are going to borrow money. Um, and then, but the collateral requirements are actually very, very safe. I think you said it was 1.25 to 1 or something. Basically, for every $1 that you put in, you borrow, you need to have 1.25 
um, in assets, basically. Right. So, so that means that your collateral is even more than any home loan that you can get. I mean, you get a home equity loan and you put your a second mortgage in your house. The bank is going to say, okay, we'll give you a, a loan for the 80% of the value of your house or something at, at, at the appraised value at the moment of the loan. But, uh, um, so, but that was a good stress test because all of a sudden your collateral could be a lot of people actually borrow money just because they don't want to sell Bitcoin. They don't want to sell ETH, ETH or Ethereum um, coins or you know, they just want to keep those because they know they're going to appreciate in the future. And then because they have that as collateral, they're asking for extra money to invest somewhere else, whatever is, and with fiat money or whatever. And, uh, and then obviously when this happens, a lot of people find the squeeze and they say, okay, well now I'm over leveraged and I need to sell something or I'm going to be liquidated. So either you add more collateral to your account or you're liquidated. So these platforms deal with this particular situation and they handle it just fine. I mean, they, they didn't have any hiccups. I mean, I'm looking right now and, you know, Aave has the same, you know, they have the, uh, uh, what they call the markets for each of the tokens and everything. And they have the, uh, the deposit APY and the borrow APY. Everything is basically variable, but it's not different than it's been in the last few days or the last few weeks or since they started. On the contrary, the exchanges were having issues. Traffic the issues. centralized exchange. The central, right. So the uh, the uh, the Binance Uniswap and SushiSwap and all of them, they were fine. Uh, the only thing is that the 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 gas fees went up, which always happens when you have a ton of uh, basically network congestion. And I want to get into that a little later with the gas fees too, because that was the topic that we we said we'll discuss with uh, Ethereum 2.0 and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, those so, exchanges, so those, so, the Gemini's. But yeah, the centralized. Right. I think Gemini, Binance, Coinbase, Coinbase, FTX, briefly, Kraken, basically all the big uh, centralized <clears throat> exchanges had outages where you could not buy or sell in a lot for certain periods of time. And I think one of the reasons why it dipped so hard was because uh, I mean I was seeing people were saying I'm trying to buy the it's dip. Basically, volume. When, I yeah. mean, when Ethereum dipped below two thousand. Uh, a lot of people were trying to buy the dip. Yeah, and they couldn't because right. the exchanges were down. Yeah. And so that doesn't help, obviously. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, it, and again, the, 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 the centralized exchanges are very much like a brokerage account. Like you could have a TD Ameritrade or Schwab or whatever, and basically you want to buy a stock, you can buy whenever you want. I mean, whatever is a dip or no dip or whatever. And then you basically you transfer funds from your whatever banking institution to the to the exchange or to the brokerage and then you have funds there and then you say okay i want to buy 100 shares of disney or whatever you want to buy and you just basically buy um well this works the same way except that you couldn't get into them just because they were overwhelmed with traffic so this is something they need to be aware of because that's critical everybody knows it's like a highway that yeah it's great at three o'clock in the morning when there's no rush hour but how's the handle the traffic at rush hour okay if you, you are totally clogged and bottlenecked maybe you need to add four or five more lanes you know to to be able to handle that kind of traffic and these guys who are not ready for that kind of situation so um gas fees let's get into that a little bit because that's one thing that actually the gas fees over the last yeah what when this happened were huge and obviously, uh, you know, gas fees are related to. <laughs> yeah. So gas fees, uh, gas fees um, are based on transaction volume. So the more transaction volume there is, it's supply and demand. So if there's a ton of demand for uh, there, there's fixed supply 
it, in because there's uh, uh, only so many blocks, basically. And so if demand shoots up and there's fixed supply of 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 uh, of the blocks, then you're gonna have gas fees shoot up. And what happened was that, first of all, because so many people were trying to trade, and then second of all, when you have these liquidations, you have to either, like you said, add collateral or get liquidated. Mm -hmm. um, those are transactions. And so a lot of people had no choice because they said, I'm gonna get liquidated, so I need to add collateral. I need to get more ETH or DAI or whatever collateral they needed to add to their position to not get liquidated. And so when you're in that position and the gas fees keep going up and it's not just you, but like, but thousands and thousands of traders all at the same time, there was a massive demand spike all of a sudden and gas fees jumped. I saw some where people were paying $2,000 transaction fees, which is nuts. But you know, Hey, if you're going to get liquidated on a hundred thousand dollar position and you got to pay two grand you got to pay two grand you don't have a choice you know right and this fee is actually you have different um there's different levels of fees for you know they call it like fast or medium or standard or slow or whatever basically you pay the faster you want your yeah, transaction to happen yesterday it didn't matter yeah there was no difference yeah, there's exactly. no it's it was, just normally if you're not in a hurry to make a transaction like let's say that you just want to be like typical buy and hold and on dollar cost average whatever you call it just buy a little bit of uh, whatever token you prefer every month and put it into savings or put it somewhere invest you say, okay, I don't care. I, I don't care if my transaction takes a few hours or whatever. I paid the minimum fee and you're okay. I actually did the other day on a transaction. Um, I normally don't do this. I normally just pay whatever the current gas fee is. I mean, I'll, I'll wait. If it's really high, I'm not going to do the transaction. I'll just come back later. But the other day, I actually just set a price and then left it. Mm -hmm. and uh, Like it a just limit got, buy or something? Yeah, basically, uh, I just set a, a GUI. Mm -hmm. GWEI price and uh, it fulfilled. It took like 20 minutes or something, but right. it fulfilled. Uh, but yeah, obviously, if you're trading in the moment and it's like, hey, your position's about to be liquidated right now, you don't have time to wait. And so if the gas fee is $2,000, you got to pay the $2,000. And that's what happened to a lot of traders. And that's why the gas fees skyrocketed because all of a sudden it's, it's supply and demand. So one yep. guy says, all right, I'll pay a thousand. I'll pay eleven $1 hundred. I'll pay twelve hundred. I right. don't care. It's, right? It's basically a beta to to skip the line, so to speak. It's almost like when you go to uh, Disneyland and you have this extra right. fast pass or something. You say, "Okay, I'm gonna pay extra just so I don't have to stand in line." So that's basically what you're doing when you're paying a gas fee. You're paying extra money. Right. Or, you have a list of transactions that need to be processed. Right. And the miners are obviously right. going to do whoever pays the highest first. Right. And so then that's how in a situation like this gas prices can quickly go from fifty dollars to two thousand mm -hmm. in minutes literally mm -hmm. so that's that's what happened so all right well that's one of the uh the now, things that we wanted to uh that's a problem but obviously this is a known problem this isn't anything new and uh there's solutions that are coming and right, that's uh, what i wanted to discuss now so so let's go to because this is the topic that we really wanted to discuss today um uh, before all the crash and all that stuff so what are the solutions that are coming to make these gas fees lower and at the same time transactions faster? Basically, the, the, the obstacle that you have right now or that people have right now when the average investor says, okay, I'm not going to buy $20,000 worth of whatever token I like because I don't have that money. But yeah, I could buy 
maybe a thousand a month or putting into my savings and diversify my portfolio and say instead of putting everything in stocks or whatever, I'm gonna invest in some uh, stable coins, whatever. But when you when you put five hundred a thousand a month and you pay in two hundred dollars gas fee, basically that means that you're already twenty percent down. Well, two hundred dollars. Well, is I know, I know. I'm just giving an example. So, so to, for for. Um, you know, for perspective, but uh, you're paying whatever gas fee. I mean, even you're paying 50 or 100 bucks, basically you're putting 10% already in fees, which basically means that the first 10% gain that you have in that investment is just to offset your fees, your transaction fees, and then after that you start making money. Um, it's, it's no different than before the most of the uh, brokerage accounts or companies like TD Ameritrade back then, Scott Trade, all of those used to have a transaction fee to it was usually uh, $7 or six ninety five or something. So obviously you buy one share at $15 or something for, and you pay seven in a fee, then obviously you're 50% down. So you, you buy a bunch of shares, then that the fixed amount is a small percentage. So how are these gas fees going to decrease in the future? And then why is also, why the transaction is going to become faster too? So. Yeah, I mean, people have talked about this forever, and it's just a matter of uh, developing the solutions. And I mean, and now they're pretty much developed, uh, and they're launching. So, like for example, uh, I mentioned Matic earlier. It's Polygon, which is uh, uh, Ethereum sidechain. Uh, they are one solution, and uh, they have very low fees. And uh, I invested in them just because. I was seeing that a ton of people who were doing yield farming were actually going, and then they launched with Ave too now, they're on Ave. Um, a bunch of people were going to them because if you're yield farming, you have lots of transactions very often, and so people were getting killed with gas fees. And so I saw that Polygon was offering a sidechain solution for a lot of these yield farms. And but you need to own the coin to yield farm with it, and so I invested in it, and that's why it's skyrocketed over the last uh, month or so. Because all of a sudden, all these people realized, oh, there's this side chain that has, I mean, literally pennies for the gas fees um, for transactions, and tons of people started using it. So that's uh, that's that tells you how much demand there is for these solutions. Um, there's two main things that are going to lower the gas fees. Uh, one that will come first is what they call the L2, layer two uh, solutions. So the the two main ones are uh, what they call roll-ups. Um, there's ZK roll-ups, which is called zero knowledge roll-ups, and then there's optimistic roll-ups. And uh, people have probably heard, if you've researched L2, you hear about optimism, um, which is uh, L2 that's coming supposedly like now, um, like Uniswap, I think said that they're going to start using optimism in June, maybe like next month. So that would be great for Uniswap because right now Uniswap V3 fees are really high. So this, um, this, uh, but let me, let bit. me, yeah, I'm going to get into it. So you have optimistic rollups and Z, zero knowledge rollups. They're just different types of rollups. People can look in the technicalities of it, but how they work is, uh, the reason it's called op optimistic rollup is, um, to put it simply, to, to give a real-world example, say I like the, the coffee shop example because it's uh, a coffee shop is an example of somebody who could not run on L1. It wouldn't make sense affordably, right? If they had to pay gas fees on every transaction of $5, it just they wouldn't, it wouldn't work, right? 
here's your $5 coffee and oh, it's a $50 gas fee on top of that. So your coffee is $55, right? So it didn't work. So how do you solve this? Well, okay. Do all those coffee transactions need to be on L1? L1, the value of L1 is that it's ultra secure, right? That's the thing, that it's super trusted, ultra secure. But for a $5 coffee transaction, it's, it's kind of like... It's overkill, right? It's, it's like if you, it's like, would you put a $20 bill in a maximum security bank vault? No, probably not. Now, if you had a box of gold bars, well, maybe it's almost like, yeah, as far as the blockchain, it's almost like you have to notarize every single letter that you right. send to a friend or something. Right. It's like, okay, this is just a letter between two it's friends. It's basically, do you to... need maximum security and trust for a $5 coffee transaction? Right. No. Probably not. Is there going to be fraud? Is there going to be people who uh, occasionally try to get a free coffee out of Starbucks or whatever? Yeah, probably. But the the majority of people uh, are honest and fair and just want to buy their coffee, aren't trying to steal, aren't trying to do anything. So the reason they call it optimistic roll-ups, and there's two terms, they're optimistic and roll-up. The roll-up is saying instead of Starbucks doing every transaction on L1, settling it, so to speak, on L1, they can do all their transactions from one day. So say five bucks, how many coffees do they sell? Whatever, say they sell 500 in a day, it's 2,500 bucks. And then they take all those $2,500 worth of transactions and they put that as one transaction. They roll them into one Mm -hmm. and that gets settled on the blockchain. And then they pay the gas fee on that. So then if it's a $50 gas fee, then okay, but it's fifty dollars on the twenty five hundred instead of fifty dollars on five, which wouldn't make sense. Which, if you do the math on that, fifty dollars on twenty five hundred—that's basically what they pay in credit card fees, anyways. So it it would be pretty much the same. Um, so that's the roll up part where you you just roll up transactions, and the reason they call it optimistic in that case is because they're saying it's optimistic because we're optimistic about humans in we're, that we're having faith in humans on fraud basically. in that the majority of people are not scammers are not thieves the majority of right if, if you look at general global commerce or especially in the united states global is a little different but like in the united states or europe or any developed country the far 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 majority of transactions are totally fine right most people don't go to the store with credit fake credit cards or fake bills In reality, it's the same thing that the credit card industry went through. When you go to certain stores, and even though the signing, the credit card slip, and all the receipts, all that stuff, or whatever, is kind of very, very uh, old school. In some stores, when you go and says, oh, your purchase is below $50, you need to have to sign. You just basically... Yeah, so um, there's statistics on this, and uh, I think it's roughly 1% of all transaction volume is fraudulent. mm -hmm. Um, And so... That's kind of the number you can look at. And uh, it depends on the country. It depends on the industry, whatever. But typically, 1% to 2% of transaction volume is fraudulent. But 99 98% is legit. And so they're basically saying, all right, we're optimistic. Most people are not trying to scam. Because remember, even with whether you use a blockchain or you use traditional finance with credit cards, whatever, there's the built-in security solutions, but there's also the real-world uh, ramifications, which is in the same way that if you commit credit card fraud and get caught, you're going to get arrested. Well, in the future, if you, get, if you commit 
Ethereum fraud, right? You're going to get arrested, right? Okay, fraud is fraud. It doesn't matter what backend technological mm. solution you use. So that doesn't change. Um, and so that's what optimistic rollups are. They're rolling up all these transactions and saying, okay, if Starbucks does $2,500 of transactions a day, maybe a few coffees will slip through the cracks and uh, there will be a few people that steal a coffee because they cheated Starbucks. Okay, it happens. And then guess what? Starbucks can report that and, uh, and to the authorities and all that in the same way they would if they caught somebody committing credit card fraud or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then zero-knowledge roll-ups are just a different um, method. I think in the long term, zero-knowledge roll-ups, ZK roll-ups, uh, people can look it up, the technical, will probably be the most popular over optimistic but both work and 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 this essentially allows this will be a roughly probably 10x improvement on gas fees so if you have a typical gas fee that's uh like 50 bucks it could probably cut it to like five um and then the other big one is sharding and that'll come with eth 2.0 which i think they're saying maybe november this year it's not going to happen all at once because it's a big ordeal to just move everything on mm -hmm. Ethereum over to ETH 2.0. Um, but basically we're switching to proof of stake and we're gonna use sharding. And uh, that will be a major one. Switching that, from proof of work to proof of stake. That one will roughly be about 100X uh, improvement on gas fees. And so that's when you get, if you combine the L2, which is a 10X improvement, and then with the 100X on sharding, you're looking at a thousand x improvement, um, and you're looking at uh, potentially like uh, minimal gas fees. Then yeah, and the transactions per second is going to be massive, like way more. Uh, I think Visa does three thousand ish, two to three thousand. It depends on the volume. Obviously, mm. like Black Friday, they do massive volume, but like a normal day is like two thousand transactions per second for Visa. Um, Ethereum with L2 solutions combined with sharding will probably be able to do roughly 100,000 transactions per second. 100,000 transactions per second gets you pretty close to being able to handle uh, most of the world's transactions. Right, and we, it, we've all experienced the, uh, <clears throat> that'll the be, major credit card That'll traffic. be 50x Visa's transactions. Right, like normally you go to the store, you pay with your Visa, MasterCard, whatever, American Express, and then you it goes through and all that stuff. But sometimes, like you said, Black Fridays or heavy volume days, right. the transactions take time. Even sometimes you're at the store and you see the, the store clerk or something waiting and waiting and waiting for the transaction to be approved just because the network is congested. They're only able to handle so many transactions per second or per minute. And um, which again is only in heavy traffic hour days, like like Black Fridays or holidays or things like that. Um, so the uh, the level two uh, will allow those transactions with um, Ethereum on the Ethereum chain to go faster, basically, and start emulating you know what a normal transaction with any credit card will work like. I think the United States roughly processes again it depends it depends very much it fluctuates but i think roughly processes like five six thousand transactions per second on a typical day um and that's all u.s uh basically mm -hmm. uh, credit card transactions and so if ethereum is able to do 
you know, 100,000-ish transactions per second, that lays the foundation for a global payment system. You know, it it probably still won't be fully like 100%, oh, you could just run the whole global economy. But if you can get to 100,000 transactions per second, you're going to be able to have the United States, Europe, and a lot of Asia on Ethereum if you wanted to. so yeah, that's that's where we're heading, and uh, that's why you know I'm very bullish on Ethereum because that's where I think we're going. And if you look at the longer term, I just think that uh, I, with with that and then all the things being built on top of Ethereum, we're so early, and that's why when you have a crash like this, the pers- you talk about perspective. I told this to you the other day. Uh, this is not investment advice. This is not anything. Okay. Don't listen to me. But if you have a hundred thousand dollars to invest in, uh, in DeFi, DeFi isn't even at a hundred billion, uh, TVL yet, which is total volume, total value locked, locked yeah. which is kind of the equivalent of, uh, assets under management for, uh, like the finance world. Not even at a hundred billion. It's like eighty-five billion or something like that. It'll hit a hundred billion very soon. So let's say we're gonna hit a hundred billion. Okay, hundred billion dollars sounds like a lot, but in the finance world, a hundred billion dollars is is pennies. It's nothing. BlackRock alone, I think, is eight trillion assets under management alone. Just BlackRock. Then you have J.P. Morgan with like four or five trillion. Wells Fargo, Citibank. I mean, just those alone manage tens of trillions okay and then you go global and you're looking at 200 trillion globally probably around there if DeFi goes to five trillion which is very conservative say over the next few years which i think is very 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 possible again five trillion that's not even the size of blackrock which is one institution okay that's a 50x from here 50x if we go to 10 trillion that's 100x from here that's how early we are and again 510 trillion when you're talking about a 200 trillion dollar industry is nothing that's how early we are so that's the perspective people need to have and that's why i'm so bullish and that's why i take the long-term view and it's important to keep to keep clarifying so my that point is if you, put, say- if you put a hundred thousand in again not investment advice and if you're the type of person who has a hundred thousand to invest 100,000 at 100x is $10 million. Like, that's the types of returns we're talking about here. Um, so, anyways. And we tend to put everything into the same basket, but uh, in reality, Bitcoin, the coin, the token, and Ethereum or ETH, the token are very, very different. I mean, Bitcoin is basically, whether it's the protocol or the token, it's a standalone limited supply, you know, token with uh, 21 million on the set. Uh, Ethereum is an entire protocol that is the foundation for a lot of different smart contracts and everything else that is not necessarily just ETH or Ether, the, the token, the coin. So Ethereum is going to be or is becoming the global computer. Exactly. That's so, what it is. So Ethereum is, is more like a standardized global protocol that has many more applications than just basically people that kind of relate Ethereum and they actually call Ethereum the actual token, which is actually Ether or ETH. Um, but Ethereum is a technology. So if you believe in the technology, 
that's what you're basically investing in, not so much in having a token or no token or whatever, because that technology is, go is going to be applied to a number of different applications, whether it's insurance or, or uh, I mean, we now have uh, NFTs also. I mean, there's, there's going to be so many applications that use the Ethereum protocol that that's basically what you're investing in. And, and it's, uh, we said it before, it's almost like uh, when the internet started, you know, everybody was saying, well, what's the internet? I don't, you know, you have all these bulletin boards and then I can talk to this and I have AOL and all of a sudden I can talk to somebody and I have this online brochure right. that I can put and people, oh, I don't need this and that. And before we know it, we're doing everything on the, on the internet these days. This is my personal core investment thesis when it comes to crypto. Um, and again, this is my opinion. Uh, but I look at, I have three core holdings that I pretty much buy and never sell. And I've said it earlier, and these are the three, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Chainlink. And the reason those three is that I think Bitcoin is already and is going to continue to be digital gold and will reach gold-like market caps, I think. I think we'll get to $5, 10000000000000 trillion market caps with, with uh, Bitcoin which will be at the levels of gold. And so I look at gold, Bitcoin as the digital store of value, as this ultra-safe, ultra-trusted um, base layer of money storage uh, that will be significant for many years to come. Then I look at Ethereum as the global computer, as the base layer for all of these applications that are going to be built, um, whether it's DeFi, whether it's insurance, whether it's tokenized real estate, all these types of things, art, all, I mean, all that stuff. And then Chainlink, because Chainlink is the uh, connector of everything. Chainlink is the, by its very name, it's linking together both different blockchains altogether and it's connecting real world data to the blockchain which is a big deal if you want to have real estate and insurance and all these things you need to be able to connect real world data to digital and that's what Chainlink does and so that's what I think I think you have the digital gold you have the global computer and then you have the global connector and those are the three that I kind of basically plan on buying and pretty much never selling and just holding because I think that those three are going to be the future of the world pretty much. Uh, yeah, and I, then I, you have other protocols that I'm interested in, but they're much more speculative. But those are like the three that I just, I, I think are going to be the core and the future. So yeah, and again, just to, uh, I mean, we're reaching almost an hour now, but uh, just to close the, uh, the circle, going back to the perspective theme of this uh, podcast, when you, when you look at the... Uh, the crash that we have over the last 24 hours, whatever, when it went down to high 20s Bitcoin and then Ethereum was down to 2000 or something. I think the prices are now stabilizing a little more. And like we said, we are at 40,000 for Ethereum, uh, Bitcoin right now. Ethereum is in the 26, 2800 range. You know, I mean, I'll be happy. Really, the, the, the bubble that we had before with reaching 60 plus so quickly, I'm not saying that I mean, people say that uh, Bitcoin is going to go up to half a million, whatever. You, you see all these numbers that people throw there, um, which, yeah, I mean, they are kind of unrealistic at this point. But um, when you look at the growth, I almost prefer steady growth. So it was growing too, too, too fast and too much. And I think it's better when you 
if I see Ethereum that after all this volatility of the last week or so, it settles at about 3,000, 3,100, whatever, I'll be very happy, you know, because uh, skyrocketing to 4,200 overnight was just as bad as dipping to 2,000 overnight. So like you said, volatility works both ways and it's, it's normally not good in either way. So now we're back to when you look at the curve, you say, okay, well, it's been growing. And if after all this crash, people realize, okay, let's come down, let's everybody just relax and see what this is worth. And then all the day traders have already left, sold, lost money for sure, because they sold in a panic. And now, you know, the coins stabilize and, and they, re, they remain at a price level that is pretty reasonable, it's fine. I mean, nothing's happened. That's, that's where you say, okay, we're still growing pretty steadily over the last 18 months, 12 months, six months, three months, and so forth. So it's just more of a more of an adjustment than a full correction or anything else. So where do you think, just to just to wrap it up for the for today, where do you think um, we go from now? I mean, as far as over the next few weeks or, you know. I, I can't, I don't like short-term, I, I can't guess short-term price movements. Uh, that's not what I do. I have my own speculation, but I... It's hard to make predictions, especially about the future. Like, uh, but, but I think long-term, <laughs> I mean, uh, and... The, and there's different, you know, cycles. I don't think this will necessarily happen this cycle, but I think long term for me, I my price target for Bitcoin is in the two hundred thousand range. Uh, long term, I'm talking over years, not soon. Because basically, if you get to uh, two hundred fifty thousand uh, Bitcoin price, that's roughly five trillion market cap. And that would be gold is about 10 trillion. And I think Bitcoin getting to half the market cap of, of gold within the next, say, five years, I think is actually very, very realistic just because um, I think lots of especially institutional money now is looking at Bitcoin as, a, as digital gold. Uh, and I think lots of people will continue to look at it. And especially if, uh, you know, inflation keeps happening, uh, as we've seen the new inflation numbers come out that are we really high. discuss inflation, but yeah. So I think a five-year price target of like 250000 for Bitcoin to me is very realistic. And that's where I see it going. For Ethereum, I think Ethereum in the short term could definitely explode. Um, but then I think it could have like a explosion and then regression again. Like if, if you told me that Ethereum exploded to, especially with EIP-1559 coming, all these L2 solutions, ETH. 2.0 coming all these things happening right uh if eth exploded to like twenty thousand plus it wouldn't shock me now do i think it would stay there no probably not i think you'd probably see like what just happened now just at a higher level like i think you could see eth hit twenty five thousand, and then go back down to like 10 you know but i think uh, fair value in the next couple years for eth to me easily 10, 15,000, mm -hmm. I think is, I think 15,000 is pretty fair value. Um, just because if you look at all the things being built on top of it um, in DeFi, and if you just look at all the supposedly rumored trillions of institutional money that are looking to get into DeFi that are mm -hmm. kind of waiting on the sidelines now. And then if you have ETFs that come out for Bitcoin and Ethereum, I mean, you're talking literally at least a few trillion that could come in. And if that happens, 
Well, uh, Ethereum's at a half. Well, before this, at, at Ethereum was at about half a trillion market cap when it was at four thousand, right? And so, if you say Ethereum gets to two trillion market cap, well, that would be sixteen thousand. So that's a price range that I look at. Now, again, this is just my personal speculation, and that's all it is. It's speculation. But that's what I, I think could happen. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, you can, and, and you it's, can go. But I'm giving you why I think those things. Now, totally could not happen. And again, do your own research, invest your own risk. But right. that's no, what I, I mean, look at. Everybody has, I mean, I've read so many different uh, price ranges for the next 12 months to, to 10 years. You know, I mean, it's just take your, pick your, uh, your choice. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think um, you, you need to always zoom out, if you will. And then uh, at all, whether it's a chart or perspective or anything you want, and then Say so, okay, yeah, uh, the market has had the same crashes. The market has had flash crashes too. I think it survived. I mean, the market. Listen, is, is the last cycle, Ethereum peak to trough was fourteen hundred oh. down. To, what did Ethereum get down I think to? Three hundred or something? No, lower. It was even in lower. The hundreds, okay. I think. Yeah, I you actually know? totally. And Bitcoin, same thing. I mean, Bitcoin went yeah. from eighteen thousand down to like three. But the interesting thing is that when they say you cannot day trade or basically look at this type of investment or crypto investment on a daily basis is basically torture unless you enjoy that but we i started getting into crypto back in 2017 when it was how it was kind of starting to become a little more uh, uh, you know uh, headlines type thing and went through the first peak and then it totally collapsed and then i said you know what i'm just gonna stop looking at this thing on to oh, a yeah, point I mean, that I even forgot that I had any any tokens or anything. You know, luckily I didn't forget my uh, my wallets, uh, keys, <laughs> phrases or anything. All I or did for crypto base, keys for 2018-19, for those couple years, all I did was set price alerts. Yeah, and when there would be a big drop in Bitcoin, uh, I would just buy more. And I still have and a few a few tokens that I that are basically worthless right now because it's like everything. I mean, it's like when you when the internet started, there was a bunch of dot-com companies that didn't even make it. But, you know, you, you, you invest in some and hopefully, you know, a few of them are hits and some others are misses. So I still have a few misses right. lingering in my portfolio, but I just live in there. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I like when I say my investment thesis is those core three, the uh, right. Bitcoin, Ethereum, Chainlink, uh, that makes up about 80, 85% of my crypto portfolio. And the other 15% I put into like moonshot altcoins. And that's right. where I do a mixture of trading, uh, investing in coins that I think are going to be either zeros or 10x pluses. And I'm totally okay with losing the money. But it's 10, 15% of my portfolio. Right. It's a small And amount. you need to kind of, that's the one that you put a little more risk. And it's then the than nice thing about that is when you do occasionally get one that explodes and you get a lot of profit, then I take those profits and I put them back. These days I put them into Ethereum because I want to accumulate more Ethereum, mm -hmm. you know? So that's my personal investment. These has been working pretty well, but you know, everybody form their own. It's fun, you know, it's fun times. So on a lighter note, uh, next weekend is the uh, Indianapolis 500 here in the, uh, in the US. And uh, there's one car now that is sponsored by uh, Bitcoin, or it's not sponsored by Bitcoin, but it will have the Bitcoin theme on the car. Uh, it's sponsored by a number of uh, famous uh, Bitcoin um, investors. Um, so we were just hoping that that car doesn't crash because then everybody's going to have make start making all those jokes about the Bitcoin crash and the Bitcoin car crash and all that stuff. So, so the driver is actually uh, Ed Carpenter. He's a 
he's a good driver, um, lots of experience. So hopefully we wish him very well and very successful in Indianapolis. So at least hopefully he'll he will finish the race. He will stay clear. He will not crash because otherwise the jokes are just going to be all over the place. So um, anything else, Debbie, before we uh, wrap it up for today? No, I think we're good. I think we covered uh, a lot of the bases. Listen, everybody, perspective, like you said at the yeah, beginning. Exactly. Yeah. Long-term like, view. No panic. Just uh, stay the course. Do your research. I mean, the, the and of course, by the way, you know, I have a large amount of my net worth in crypto, but I always keep uh, a cash reserve uh, emergency fund, just like everybody should. So that I don't care if my crypto goes completely to zero, I'm not going to be broke. Don't put 100% Well, that's of your just money common sense. I mean, that applies to everything in life. I mean, you can't just put all your life savings into anything that you do. I mean, you need to have your, your safety, you know, whatever, basket, cushion, whatever you want to call it. So if all else fails, you know, you still have your... Well, that's just... You, need, you, you cannot be reckless. So you, you, But at the same time, if you don't enjoy the process, if you don't enjoy researching and reading and all that stuff or playing the game whichever game you're playing in life then don't do it you know i mean it's 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 a matter of if if you say crypto and, and that also depends on your age range and all that stuff but um if you say okay this is too complicated that's fine stay away from it or you can just trust an institution to handle it for you and then like you do with your 401ks or whatever but really it's not different than the company that's managing your 401k or, or the brokerage account or whatever. I mean, you're basically trusting people to manage your money. So um, you need to enjoy it to, to play the game. And, and, and that applies to any, any facet of life. So if you don't enjoy it, then don't do this, you know. But if you do it, then you need to understand that the games is, is, is just basically has certain rules and, and, and you're going to have ups and downs and all that stuff. And at the end, hopefully you, you enjoy it, you know. All right, so um, that's it for today. We'll be back next week. We're right at the hour right now, and I wanted to keep it that way. So uh, this is like a typical commute in a congested traffic city. By next week, the Suns and Lakers will have played... Two games at least? Two, maybe three games. So you think we'll be up 2-1? Oh, we're going to sweep them. <laughs> okay, talking about predictions. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. Well, we'll have the first two games at home, so hopefully at least... We'll win those, do you think? Or we're going to split them? Actually, that's your prediction for the first two games. Best of seven, first two games at home. I'm going to sweep them. We'll so sweep. Suns are going to win. All right, so first, David says that we'll be 2-0 and at least in the first two games. I think we may be 1-1. One and one. Well, we'll split the home games, I think. But... I, I want to be wrong, so we'll see. All right, guys, well, that's, that's all we have for today. Um, enjoy the weekend, and uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of uh, MGR Unplugged. Goodbye, everybody.